control. Then he remembered that whenever Moses didn't know what to do, he would go and talk to God. I'll be right back. So Josh went away from the camp to see if he could hear God. After he had gone away, he saw a strange man with a sword. Josh realized that this was a messenger from God, so he immediately fell face down on the ground in reverence. I come with directions from the Lord. Great. What are they? The Lord says to you, Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. March around the city once with all your men. Do this each day for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast, have all the people give a loud shout and the walls of the city will collapse and Jericho will be yours. Josh went back to camp and told the plan to the rest of the Israelites. And the wall of the city will collapse, and Jericho will be yours. So, we're supposed to hop around the city for seven days, blow our little horns, yell, and the walls are just gonna fall down. Yep, those are God's directions. Last call for Egypt, who's coming with me? What we need is serious firepower. Sherry the Curtain! How are we clapping? I have no idea. As your new leader, I think we should try doing it God's way first. Well, God's way still sounded kind of funny, but the Israelites agreed to give it a try. And the next morning, there they were, marching around Jericho. It wasn't long before the people of Jericho noticed the Israelites.
God, and the walls fell down. Finally, after 40 years, they were in their new home. Well, that was for the kids, but I think us adults might have enjoyed that a little bit as well. Thanks, Brad, too, for sharing, being vulnerable for us, and uh, in the famous lines of the VeggieTale movies, we laughed, we cried, it moved us. Well, this morning, in fact, every Sunday during the summer, we are looking at Old Testament characters to discover what courageous faith is. So far, we've looked at Noah, Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. Today, we're going to encounter Joshua and Caleb. Well, let's be honest. We'll encounter Joshua with a slight mention of Caleb. The Bible is God's unfolding story of God's history, or as some have referred to it, his story. These are not fictional characters and made-up stories. The people that we are studying are real people who lived in real places. In fact, three weeks ago when I spoke uh, about Abraham, and I mentioned that he was from the city of Ur, and at the time of Abraham, Ur of the Chaldeans was a major civilized city near the Persian Gulf, near where the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers come together, or what is now known as modern-day Iraq. But one of the people attending that Sunday came to me after the service and told me about a project that the engineering company that he worked for here in Edmonton is working on a project in southern Iraq. Um, this company has, a local, or has an office in Abu Dhabi, and this gentleman travels there to assist in the planning and estimating and construction of a project that was being developed or is being developed for the Iraqi oil ministry. And there are huge deposits of oil in that general region. But what he and then I found so interesting was that he was telling me that there was a reference in the documentation for this project that this project was near the ancient city of Ur. It said that there were historical mounds that must not be disturbed during construction of the project if the project was to proceed. In fact, on one of the plot plans that he was using, the city of Ur was actually shown so that they could then plan to work around these historic mounds. And so these are, as I said, real places, real people experiencing real life. The only difference between then and now is that we are separated by time and by distance and by location. But we can learn so much by studying their interactions with God. God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. He is the God that we worship too. And when we study the faith of these Old Testament characters, we can be inspired and encouraged to live with respect to their relationship with God in the same way. So what can we learn about faith by studying the life of Joshua? First, let me introduce him to you. In Joshua chapter 1, and I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to, to turn to chapter 1. We'll spend most of our time there in those first nine verses or so. But in Joshua chapter 1, we read this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. Now, it's not often that a good book begins with a death notice. I mean, we might expect a long time ago there lived a man. But not here. Moses is dead. Now, the exact date of when Moses died has been the source of much debate. But basically, there's two camps. It was either around 1220 B.C. or around the early 1400s B.C. But again, remember, this was a real time, real place, real people. But the idea of starting with the death of Moses, there was a reason for this. Because God's history is a, is a continuing history. And Joshua had been Moses' assistant. And then when Moses died, Joshua became the new leader of the Israelites. Moses is described as a servant of the Lord. This same title would later be given to Joshua as well at the end of his life in chapter 24 and verse 29. A servant of the Lord. I like that. Servant of the Lord. I think that would be a good epitaph, wouldn't it? But the name Joshua means Yahweh saves. It's the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And just as Joshua would be charged with leading the Israelites into the promised land to experience rest, so too would Jesus ultimately make a way for us to get to heaven and the place of ultimate rest. Joshua was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And when Jesus would enter this world in order to make a way for humanity to be saved. We first meet Joshua... In the book of Exodus, in fact, chapter 17, verses 8 through 13, where he there appears as a skilled military commander. And in the battle with the Amalekites, the Israelites, under the leadership of Joshua, they experience victory as long as Moses, who's up on a hill, holds his hands up in the air. And when Moses got tired and lowered his hands, the Amalekites would start to win. And so Moses had two assistants, Aaron and Hur. And they saw that he was tired, and they they took a stone, and they had Moses sit down on it, and they each held up one of his hands. Now, that might sound a little crazy. I mean, they're winning when the hands are up. They're losing when the hands are down. What gives with that? But there is a point to all of this. Because as skilled as a military leader as Joshua was, the idea that they were only winning when Moses held his hands up was in, in, in recognition of the fact that they were only experiencing victory because of God. Only God. Pastor Ken likes to use that phrase often. Only God. Because we never want to begin to think that we, as mere human beings, have anything to do with growing a church or seeing lives changed or anything like that. It is all about God. When Moses put together a team of 12 men to go on a mission to explore this promised land of Canaan, Joshua was part of that team. Now Caleb was also uh, part of, uh, of that team of 12. And their mission was to go out and spy out the land and then report back to Moses. You know, what is the land like? Are the people there strong or weak? Are are there lots of them or just a few? How is the soil there? Is it fertile or is it poor? Oh, and bring back some fruit so we'll know what what it's like. And so these 12 go off on this reconnaissance mission. 
They didn't have drones or satellites to gather this information for them. And so they spent 40 days walking around. And when they returned, it was 10 of the men who said, well, we got good news and we got bad news. Of course, the people are like, well, give us the good news. He says, well, we got good news. The land does indeed flow with milk and honey. That was their description. Great description. It just flows with milk and honey. In other words, it is absolutely spectacular. That's great. But what's the bad news? The people there are powerful. And the cities are well protected. And they're very large. In fact, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, the Bible says. And we must have looked the same to them. How deflating. How discouraging. For their entire lives, they had been hearing about this promised land. And now they are standing right at the border. And they can see it. And they can even taste it. In fact, the reconnaissance missions, they brought back grapes. And I'm sure they're sitting there, oh man, these are the best grapes we ever had. Oh. They're big and strong, and we're just little grasshoppers. We're just little people. And they reacted emotionally. Their hopes and their dreams were shattered. And there must have been quite an uproar at this report. But it was Caleb. He silences the people, gets their attention, and he says... No, listen, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. And Joshua agreed with him. You see, because they saw things from a different perspective. Sure, they are stronger than we are, but they aren't stronger than God. And this is the land that he promised to us. So he is going to give it to us. God will lead us to victory. He is with us. Don't be afraid. And so Joshua and Caleb, they encouraged the people to trust God for victory. But the damage had already been done by the naysayers. And it was this act of faith that ensured then that only Joshua and Caleb from that generation would eventually be allowed to enter the promised land. And so 40 more years of wandering in the wilderness because of their unbelief and their rebellion. And another generation dies off. And in Numbers 27, verse 18, Joshua is described as a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. You've seen this picture develop of who Joshua is. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 34, and verse 9, as a man full of the spirit of wisdom. That's great, isn't it? That's Joshua, a wise leader, full of faith, and now charged with leading the Israelites into the promised land. The land that was promised to Abraham was now within Joshua's grasp. And that's God too, faithful to keep his promises. So if that's Joshua, what can we learn about Joshua's faith. And I've just organized my thoughts under these under three headings. The first is faith enables obedience. Faith enables obedience. In verses 3 and 4, Joshua chapter 1, God says this to Joshua. I promise you, God says, what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south... 
to the Lebanon Mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea, or some translations, the Great Sea, in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. So here, once again, God specifically sets the borders of the land that he had promised to his people. In the south would be the Negev wilderness, in the north, the mountains of Lebanon, in the east, the Euphrates River, and then in the west, the Mediterranean Sea. He first promised this land to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and to Jacob, and then to Moses, and now ultimately to Joshua. But I want us to think a little bit about this phrase, wherever you set foot. It's found right at the beginning of verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set foot. Now not only is God faithful, but God is also sovereign. And it is, he's just in control of all things. And we don't often understand his ways. Sometimes they make absolutely no sense. We can't make sense of tragedy and pain and suffering. But as Brad even shared this morning, if we can see God, that God is still good in the midst of all of that is going on around us. And now he says again to Joshua, I am giving you this land. But even though this land is a gift from God, I'm giving you The Israelites, they had the responsibility to ultimately step out in faith and take what was being given to them, right? They don't just hear the promise and say, oh, that's nice. Did you hear what God said? He's giving us the land that he promised our forefathers. Isn't this great? No, they responded in obedience. And obedience is never easy. Obedience can be really hard, and it's often very counterintuitive to what we think or what we want to do. And in order to get to the land that had been promised, they had to cross the Jordan River. And Joshua chapter 3 is a great read. If you're looking for something to do for a few minutes this afternoon, read Joshua chapter 3. It's the account of the Israelites stepping out in faith and crossing the Jordan River. And I don't have time to get into all the details of the river crossing, so just one highlight. And the point is this, that as soon as the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord set foot into the Jordan River, the water stood up in a heap and the ground would instantly dried up. Now, did I mention too, if you read the Bible, you understand that this didn't happen just on a little stream. This was a river during flood stage. And it wasn't like the Israelites just stepped back and said, okay, God, you promised this land, now open up the river. It wasn't until the feet of the priests touched the water did the water pile up in a heap. I can't even imagine that. It's an absolute miraculous event that occurs. Not only does the water stop, the ground is instantly dry, and the entire Israelite... A gathering of probably two million plus people just march across this dry ground. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Talk about stepping out in faith. But Joshua was there when Moses had let the, led the Israelites out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Joshua had seen all the signs and wonders that God had done when he was releasing the people out of Egypt. And he knew that God would care for his people. Joshua was a man of faith 
who knew the Lord and trusted him to do wonders and miracles for his people. Simply put, it was his faith that enabled his obedience. And just as that was true for the Israelites, so it is true for us today. Stepping out in faith requires obedience on our part. Do you realize what God did to save us? And do you realize that there is nothing that we can do to earn his love? In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. In other words, there are not enough good things for us to do that will somehow earn our salvation. God alone did it. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that by believing in him, we might have eternal life. But we have to take that step and exercise the faith that he has given us to receive this gift. Because salvation is a gift. And like all gifts, they need to be received. And so I ask you simply this morning, have you received this gift of salvation from God? And I'm going to encourage you, just take that, if you have not, take that step of faith and step into a relationship with Jesus. But let me make another application of this point about stepping out in obedience. Can I let you in on what is a very poorly kept secret at TCC? We believe that God is calling us to plant a church. That's right, another church. Like TCC, but different. We don't have land. That doesn't really matter. Because a church is not a building, nor is it defined by a location. The church is God's people. And as God's church, we can together be part of something incredible. And we believe God is calling us to send some of the people who currently call TCC home and send them likely south of the Hende because there are so many people there that need to know about Jesus. And this is going to require obedience, not just on those that are going, but on all of us, even if we are the ones to send or whether we are the ones to go. And we might be thinking, well, there's lots of people over there. They're stronger than we are. And we're just this small little church. We're like grasshoppers. And like Caleb says to the people, listen, we can do it. We can do it with God's help. Because just standing still isn't an option. But not only does faith enable obedience, it also enables courage. Faith enables courage. Three times in these opening nine verses, God says, be strong and courageous in verses six, seven, and nine. In other words, Joshua, if you're going to step out in obedience, you are going to need strength and courage. Courage will help you resist being terrified. Because following God and stepping out in obedience can be scary. It can be difficult. But if the charge to, to be strong and courageous meant that you were on your own, kind of just God kind of saying, well, go get them. I'll, I'll be over here if you need me. It would be a little overwhelming. It would be daunting for sure. But the great thing is that God doesn't just tell Joshua 
to be strong and courageous without also promising, I will be with you. I will not leave you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And throughout that passage, there's very clear assurances of God's abiding presence, which is really the key to Joshua's strength and courage. Joshua clearly was a man of courage who wasn't afraid to confront the enemy and ultimately trust God for the victory. And we see this happening in real time in Joshua chapter 6, when God gives the city of Jericho to the Israelites. This was the scene that we saw in the clip from the VeggieTales movie called Josh and the Big Wall. Well, sort of. I mean, they took some liberties, of course. Um, You know, there weren't like Slurpees being thrown off the roof and stuff like that. But the essence of the story of God telling them to, to do what he did was true. And so one of the things that Joshua was known for was when he didn't know what to do as a wise leader, he went to the Lord and asked. That is so key for spiritual leadership. Because if it's just an idea, even if it sounds good, but it's not an idea from God, then stepping out and following is somewhat dangerous. But I loved how in the clip, Right after the messenger delivers the instructions for how to capture Jericho, did, did you catch it? It was quite, he just kind of ran on, gave him all the steps, you know, do this every day for six days. On the seventh day, do it seventh time, blow the horns, and everybody shout, and then the wall's going to collapse. And they, they pan back from him to Joshua, and he's like, isn't that the response? It's kind of appropriate, I think. This stunned look, isn't that how we would have reacted? I mean, I mean, really, march around the city? For six days? I mean, what kind of a military strategy is that? And then on the seventh day, march around it seven times, blow trumpets, and give a really loud shout? I mean, seriously? (laughs) I love how the master goes, have fun. (laughs) (sighs) But isn't that just like God? Sometimes he calls us to do outrageous things. And I say outrageous instead of courageous because I was sending a text, I think it was to Janelle this week, about the message so that she could begin to plan and pray, uh, pray and plan for the songs that we were singing. And, and as I was typing on my phone, or so to say, trying to type courageous, it was autocorrecting to outrageous. And, and I, I kind of had to laugh about that because I thought, well, how appropriate is that? Because sometimes God does call us to do outrageous things, crazy things. And it requires nothing short of courage to step out and do them. Remember what kept the Israelites from going in and taking the land 40 years earlier? After the spies had returned from exploring Canaan? Simply put, it was fear. They were afraid. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. They will squash us like grasshoppers. But Joshua didn't let the past and the unbelief and rebellion of the Israelites rob him of his faith or scare him into inactivity. Every one of us can choose to either wander in the wilderness afraid of what might be or to enter into the promised land, 
to choose life, encouraged by the promises of God because he will never leave us nor forsake us. I wonder what it was like for Joshua and Caleb during those 40 years. Man, they were so close. They had faith that enabled their courage. You know, we can do it, even when the rest of the spies didn't. I wonder if Joshua and Caleb met up with each other often and just encouraged each other. Man, this is so disappointing. But you know what? There's going to come another time. God promised us it's going to happen. And when it does, we will be ready. And don't we all need people in our lives, people who encourage us, which literally means to put heart into, put passion into us? And, and, and something that we encourage at TCC is something we just simply call triads. Just three people, men with men, women with men, women, who meet uh, together regularly for accountability and encouragement. We don't organize it, you do. And to help you, there's just a sheet that we have um, developed that with some information on the literature rack back there that, that you can follow if this is something that just kind of tweaks your interest or something you think, you know what, I, I need to look for people in my life that are going to encourage me in my walk with Jesus. Because sometimes God will call you to do something outrageous and others will discourage you, right? I mean, have you ever sensed God leading you to do something and you tell somebody else about it and they just kind of give you that blank stare, at least at first, and then they start to rationalize why you shouldn't do it? It was October of 2007, and I was serving as the senior pastor of a church in Ontario. We had already been there for 10 and a half years, but I felt strongly that God was leading me to resign. But the problem was there was no next church lined up, no new next ministry. And yet it was so clear, and it seemed crazy because it would mean, you know, resigning and no job and no income. <clears throat> How would I provide for my family? And so I, I went to a, a seasoned and mature pastor that I knew, and I, I told him what I was thinking. And he thought I was crazy. But the crazy part was is that he didn't actually encourage me to follow God. In fact, he basically said that I was foolish and it was a really stupid thing to do. And he began to quiz me on everything that I had already thought about. How will you provide your family? I'm not sure, but I'm trusting God. And then the clincher. I'll never forget this. He kind of looked at me. He was actually quite angry with me. He says, no church will hire an unemployed pastor. <laughs> Joke's on you, because you did. <laughs> but that year was fantastic. I had the opportunity to work with a ministry that, that helped churches in leadership and conflict recon reconciliation. And during that time, there was a level of dependence on God that I don't know that I ever had experienced prior to that and maybe not since. And through it all, there was this deep sense that God was with us. And I, I know, in fact, that many of you have far better examples of risking everything, but I don't have permission to share them. But when I hear some of your stories, perhaps for many of you leaving your country of birth and leaving family and moving here for a new life or other opportunities, all I can say is, wow, what courage to come to a place and a land that you've never seen or never known. But you had a seed planted in your heart to go. So what crazy, outrageous thing is God calling you to do 
Now, in saying that, we do need to be wise and discerning and not just assume that, you know, every idea that we have or every thought is from God and we should seek wise counsel. But once we are convinced of the direction that God is leading, we can't help but step out in courage with the knowledge that God is with us. And lastly, and I will just keep this very brief, faith enables commitment. It enables commitment. In verse 8, God says to Joshua, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. You see, the key to Joshua's success was his faith in the word of God, its commandments, and its promises. And just to be clear, the Hebrew terminology used here has nothing to do with worldly wealth or worldly success, but has everything to do with living out God's plans and purposes for our lives. Because we can have absolutely everything and still be empty. God ultimately is the one who defines our life and gives us purpose for living. And as Joshua's life unfolds, his faith then leads to obedience and to courage and to commitment. Obedience to cross the Jordan, courage to face their enemies, and then ultimately an unwavering commitment to God's word. Joshua was determined to obey the law of God. He had determined to know God's word and to obey it. And there are three key words in verse 8 here. Study, meditate, and obey. Study the scriptures of the Bible. Meditate on them constantly. It says day and night. And then do them. Just live them out. And in Joshua chapter 24, the Israelites have now claimed the land that God has promised them. They have divided it up as an inheritance amongst uh, all the different tribes. And Joshua urges the people to remove all of the false gods and worship God alone. He encourages the people to pledge faithfulness to God. In short, or in a word, he urges commitment. And he declares in Joshua 24, verse 15, and it was a refrain that we sang from the song this morning, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the declaration. That's the commitment. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's that going to look like for you? I don't know. But what commitments do we need to make? Let me suggest a couple, and they could be probably pretty, pretty broad. But let me just say this. One is, I think that we need to make a commitment to going and growing deeper. I don't think we can be content with just a little bit of knowledge about God. Because there is so much more to learn about how we live out this life of faith. And secondly then, I was thinking about this. I said, just commit to getting rid of the things that keep you from going deeper. It's kind of obvious because I think that there's so many things in our lives. Sometimes it might, it might be false gods, right? Things that we put all of our time and energy and resources in that really do in some ways take us away from actually following God. Maybe it's hurry. You know, almost every writer that talks about sort of the cultivating the health of the soul will say, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your lives. Because when we live at the frantic pace and the frenzied pace that we often do, we have no space for God to do his work in our lives. And and, and eliminate noise, (laughs) right? 
I mean, we always, and I, I'm the worst offender of this. I, I wake up, I go in the bathroom, I turn the radio on. I get in the car, the radio is on. But you know what? Without silence, how are we going to hear God? Not that he can't speak to us above the noise. But again, you read any book on spiritual formation and growing deeper, they will say, silence and solitude. And how counterculture is that to our lives? Silence and solitude. So that's the faith that enables obedience, courage, commitment. OCC. Or should have used OCD. It would have been easier to remember for a guy like me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life of Joshua. We have so much to learn. And Father, protect us from thinking that all we need to do is somehow look deep within our side ourselves and muster up some obedience, some courage, and make that commitment. Lord, we know that this, that these are the results of faith, and it is faith that you gift to us. And so, God, we simply ask that you would do a deep work in our lives, a work that we're really not able to do on our own, but we can with your help. Thank you for the promise of your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.